The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning and welcome. And uh, if you're joining us, my name is Darren Smith. It's so good to have you this morning. Uh, we are doing this from the Midwestern Seminary this week as we come to you during this COVID uh, coronavirus time. And uh, we greatly appreciate Midwestern giving us a higher quality audio and visual for you. So uh, if you're a Tower View member, regular watcher, or follower of our page, uh, you'll see this and think, where in the world did they upgrade their, their, their stuff? Well, uh, we're going to do this every week. So we're coming to you pre-recorded so that you can have the best quality in audio and not be lapsing in live streaming. So thank you for joining us. We'll continue our series today, Street Level Faith, with the book of James. And we're in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 this morning. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And as we are customary to do at our church, let me just read the scripture before we start the sermon. And I'll actually start at verse 1 of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, or uh, as many of you know, without finding faults, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together, and we will study our sermon, our text this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come. Thank you, Lord, during these times that we live in where we must keep six feet or two meters apart, where we can't do handshakes and hugs, and we can't gather or congregate as a church as we love to do in accordance with your word. Father, as we seek to worship you through this sermon today, may you speak to folks. I pray for those watching who, Lord, don't know you, who, who need to know Jesus Christ, who need to repent and believe the gospel. Father, would you stir their hearts by your spirit to hear not my words, but your words. For those who are members of our church, who are covenant believers in a community of faith, Father, would you use these to encourage and spur us on to, to the one another's of the scripture, all to your glory. Father, for other Christians who may just be popping in to uh, listen because their church cannot or, or does have a sermon, they're just hearing more, would you bless them and encourage them? And Lord, whether someone hears us now or later, Father, we just point it back to you. We want to ask that question, Father, what does this mean for us in these days? And not just in these days, because this too will pass at some point, Lord, as we, uh, we pray and we, we trust you for. But as we go through all the storms of life until you call us home or, or you return, Father, give us great wisdom. And Father, may it be for the glory of your name. Thank you for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story of a certain man who was given a tour of heaven in a dream. And as the tour ended, he noted that a particular building was skipped over in the tour. The angel warned him that he did not want to see that building. But the man, like all of us would be, or like a kid when you tell them no, was curious. So it just heightened his curiosity about why this one building in particular was not available. So the angel showed him 
And inside the building were beautifully wrapped presents. And they were so many presents that the man was overwhelmed with the immensity of what he was looking at. And when the man asked what these were, he asked the angel again, what are these about? And the angel said, these were the gifts that God had prepared for his children that were never claimed in prayer. You know, if there is a building in heaven that houses unclaimed gifts, many boxes would contain the prayers of people that were never answered because they didn't want the very things that God gave them, the unwanted gifts of wisdom. Because when we're going through times like we're seeing in our nation, in our church, in our community, we, we pray for provision. We pray for healing. We pray for strength and protection. We pray for intervention. We want God to work. We, we say, God, work a miracle, deliver us. And, and we pray for many other things. But the one thing that we often don't pray for, at least consistently, perhaps, is wisdom. We ask how to get out of the trials when we, uh, when we should ask how not to get out of them, but how to get through them. We should pray for, for the unclaimed, but we greatly need the gift of wisdom in the process. Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. James 1.5, of course, we just read, and we'll go over this in detail, says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and he will be, it will be given to him. You see, this verse is a continuation of the previous paragraph. If you're watching with us, you can always go to our website, towerviewkc.com, and look at last week's or, or our special page for these times, towerviewkc.com slash live. But as a reminder, verses 2 to 4 told us to count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds, and, and that this would produce steadfastness in us that we may be complete, lacking in nothing. But it's that word lack that is the connector verse between verse 4 and verse 5 for this week. Verse 4 says that the ultimate purpose of trials is that we would be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And in verse 5, we see that if anyone lacks wisdom. So it comes to this conclusion of what does this mean? And we've entitled our sermon today, these questions we're asking during the pandemic. Lord, what does this mean for me? What are you trying to teach me? So there's some questions to think about as we frame our sermon today. Will you rest in God's sovereignty, in his wisdom and grace, or will you give way to fear? And aren't many people doing that today simply because you can't figure everything out? Today, will you be haunted by the what ifs? What if I lose my job? What if I get the virus? What if this? What if the economy crashes? What if we can't meet as a church for six months? Serious questions, questions we shouldn't dismiss. Or will we rest in the wisdom in the midst of these questions of the one who is the Lord God, who rules everything? And today, as we look at our big idea, which is simply the summary, the, the, the rifle shot summary, laser focus of the sermon from the text, is that God will freely provide wisdom to face life's trials when we come to him in believing prayer. It is God's will for you to become mature. It is God's will for you, if you're a Christian, to lack no good thing. But we need to grow up. If we look at these times, I think we would be remiss if we didn't understand that God is churning his people. Just as Peter was shifted, or sifted rather, as God was moving his son Jesus to the cross, so too churches, people, relationships, faith is being tested. And our faith, though, is still incomplete. We lack some of the virtues that we need to live out the teachings of Jesus Christ. And one of the things, again, that we need the most is wisdom. In fact, God uses trials to expose our need for wisdom. And James 1, 5 through 8 teaches that God will provide, as we believe him in prayer, the very wisdom that we need. Look, if we lack knowledge, we go to school. But if we lack wisdom, we not ought to get on our knees and pray, Lord, give me your wisdom. 
So how can we access wisdom in these days? Two simple things from the text. This is such a straightforward text. Two duties to access wisdom in life's trials. First, we're going to ask God for the wisdom we need. Very, very simple, isn't it? And secondly, we're going to trust God for the wisdom we need in verses 6 through 8 as we go through. Now, first, we're going to ask God for the wisdom we need. Verse 5, as we read it again, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who is generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Here in the subpoints, we see there's a problem that issues a prescription that declares a promise. Verse 5 begins, if anyone lacks wisdom. Now, this is written to an individual. This is not written to a church, although it's written to those in the dispersion. In verse 5, it's a singular word. It's speaking of an individual. This is a conditional statement that suggests that there are those, uh, that, that, that rather that there are not those who do not need wisdom. We all lack wisdom, don't we? Yet James states that the fact, in a way, that requires each person to examine himself and also to be humble enough to receive the wisdom that can only come from God. But what is wisdom? When we think about that for a second, in Scripture, wisdom is not something academic. We're here at the seminary Midwestern where there's very many smart people. But wisdom is not necessarily academic. It's not philosophical. It's not Kant or, or any of these great philosophers of the world. It's not even intellectual. Wisdom is not knowledge. In fact, wisdom requires knowledge, but you can have knowledge and not be wise. You can be an educated fool. In my undergrad, I can think of many professors, love them dearly, great people, enemies of God at the cross, but they had all the knowledge in the world, but they laughed at the very wisdom of God. We live in the most skilled, we live in the most educated, advanced generation that perhaps has ever lived to date. We also live in the most profane, violent, and hedonistic generation that has ever lived. We have knowledge, but we do not have wisdom. So what is wisdom? Look, knowledge is information. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Knowledge is comprehending the facts, and wisdom is handling life. Knowledge is theoretical, something you can play around in an academic classroom, but wisdom is practical. So not necessarily common sense, but that definitely, in God's good grace, plays part into that. So how do we grow from wisdom to knowledge and knowledge to wisdom, specifically getting wisdom? It begins with a certain kind of knowledge. You recall in Psalm 14, verse 1, and and quoted by Paul in Romans 3, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But Proverbs 9, 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So this knowledge of God comes through God's self-revelation through the Scriptures, that we have in this Word everything sufficient for life and godliness. The wisdom of God is found in the Word of God. And I'll read a very famous passage we know well, but 1 Corinthians 1, 20-25 says this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since... In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, end quote. The Lord Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they made fools of us all. But God sent forth His Son into the world to live a perfect, holy, righteous, sinless life so that on the cross He would bear the wrath that we deserve. And when He said, it is finished, it was finished. There's no more work to be done. It's faith in Christ alone. He was buried, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, and He was resurrected. He rose from the dead, busted out of that grave so that we might have new life. And if you're watching today or if you're hearing this message on our, our Facebook page or on our website through audio, I want to plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you are not seeking the wisdom of God. You're seeking the folly of the world. You must repent and believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Search him out. That sounds so silly. I mean, you may be asking the question, if God is so big, why can't he cure this pandemic? But in Luke 13, Jesus was brought similar situations and he didn't answer the question about why bad things happen. He simply said, you repent or likewise, you too will perish. Friends, you need to come to Christ. But saving faith in Christ does not automatically produce perfect wisdom. We know Jesus is the answer, but that does not mean you're excused, Christian, from facing the difficult questions of life. In fact, Proverbs 4, 7 says, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. So that is the problem. We're to ask God for wisdom we need, and he presents the problem. But in verse 5, he also tells us the prescription. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Let him ask of God. God is the ultimate source of true wisdom, is he not? To receive the wisdom, you need to face life's trials. You must ask God for it. The prescription for wisdom is simple, yet amazingly dynamic. James does not say you need time, experience, education, or marrying the right person. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, whether you're young, old, naive, you don't understand, whether you, whatever you got, let him ask of God. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel the plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Yet James does not instruct us to seek wise people. Did you notice that in the verse? He tells us very clearly that you're to seek God alone. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him seek God. Let him ask God. It's a personal thing. He said, Let him ask God. Look, you need godly people in your life. You need Christians who can call your bluff and keep you accountable. But there are some things you need from God that you can never receive as a result of the prayers of others. Wisdom, apparently, is one of those things. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You must ask God for yourself. If you need wisdom, you don't go to your priest. You don't go to your pastor, necessarily. You don't visit a counselor. You don't inform your prayer partners or read the experts or go to your family or friends. That's not bad and that's not saying James is excluding those things. But the point is, is that the wisdom you need to face life's trials is only a prayer way. Believing prayer that he will be there when you ask. And so he gives four reasons as another subpoint here about why you should go to God in times of prayer. And it just is straight from the verse here. The first thing is, is that God gives. Notice verse five, he says, God gives. God is a giving God. God gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, did he not? At just the right time, he died for sinners such as us. And it's wrong to view God with a clenched fist that must be pried open. You know, as evangelicals, we often get to the stage where we react so much against other bad theology, bad teaching, that we don't allow the promises of God to be claimed for ourselves. God is a giving God. He's not the open book, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, prosperity gospel that we hear so often. But he's also not a God that whose hands must be pried open. God's arms are outstretched. They are full. They are open. They are ready to give in our time of need. And especially wisdom 
And God's pitcher is always full. It's always tilted towards His children to pour out blessings in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 7.11 on the Sermon on the Mount, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So God gives, number one. We're to ask God for wisdom in these trials, and the prescription is God gives. But secondly, God gives generously. Verse 5, God gives generously. This word generously is, is, means to be simple, single, or sincere. It, it is that which is pure. And James uses this word later on in verse 17 when he says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And Proverbs 23 tells us that when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, that you don't eat anything that is according to your appetite, for they are deceptive foods. What does that have to do with James? Well, sometimes a person's generosity is not true generosity, Proverbs 23 says, but that's not the case with our God. And aren't you grateful for that? Romans 11.35 asks, or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? God never gives a gift to be repaid. He's received in the past, or he doesn't have to be prepaid for a gift he receives in the future. You don't have to give a down payment to God for him to answer your prayer. God gives generously, God gives liberally, God gives purely, sincerely, and freely. So God gives, God gives, number one, God gives generously, number two, and the verse continues, verse five, God gives generously to who? To all. Divine generosity is non-discriminatory. God doesn't play favorites. God is no respecter of persons. The Father is generous to all his children. And let's be clear here, to to be a child of God is is, is a very unique thing. We still live in a culture where everyone walks around and says, you know, we're all God's children together. Friend, let me remind you, the way of salvation is exclusive. Jesus said that there is one way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So when God gives generously to all, who's He speaking of? He's speaking of believers. It's kind of like that parable in Matthew 20 where Jesus tells about the landowner who kept going to the marketplace to hire workers. He hired some guys to work in the morning. He hired some just before the end of the work shift at the end of the day, but he chose to pay them all the same. The early birds didn't necessarily get the worm, so to speak. And and, and they got mad, and they got mad at Jesus. And, And the parable went on to say, don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? And so it is with God. He, God, has the right to do what he wants. He's in the heavens. He can do whatever he pleases, the psalmist tells us. But in his sovereign grace, he chooses to be generous to all, especially those of the household of faith in Christ. So God gives. He gives generously. He gives to all without reproach. and, and, and or He gives generously to all and now, fourthly, without reproach or without finding fault. You may know people who would and could help you in your time of need, and, that, and it's an okay thing to ask. And if you're watching this, I just want to remind you, we've tried to promote this. As an aside, TowerViewKC slash outreach, TowerViewKC.com slash outreach, where you can click that button, I need help. We, if you're in the Gracemore, Maple Park, Clay Como, Randolph Corners area, please connect with us. If you're a church member, remember that we're here to serve you the best we can, but you can also click I need help. But look, even if we were to help others, they are sometimes the last people you want to have help you. Because sometimes people will lecture you because of the fact that you asked for help. You won't get that from us, but there are those who do that. And you never hear the end after they helped you about the the time they went out of their way and and how they were inconvenienced for your sake.
But God doesn't do that. God doesn't chastise you for asking for wisdom. He gives generously to all without reproach or without finding fault. Just bring it to him. He can handle it. You don't have to worry that he's too busy running the world to help you. God is not uh, that, that show many years ago with uh, Jim Carrey where he was uh, Bruce Almighty, that blasphemous show where God, he was so busy doing one prayer request, he let this other prayer request fall. That's not our God. Our God is sovereign. And God is not one that you have to worry about that he may mock you for knowing how to make light of life's trials. He, you don't have to worry that he will become irritated because you keep asking him for the same thing. In fact, Luke 18, 1, Jesus taught them a parable that they ought to pray and never give up. Psalm 103 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. God gives generously to all without finding fault or without reproach or condescension or fault finding. That is the prescription. He's told us the problem. We lack wisdom. He's told us the prescription in our asking. And now finally, the promise as we close this first main point. When young Solomon became king of Israel, you know the story, don't you? God signed him a blank check and gave it to him. First Kings 3, God said to Solomon, ask what you want and I shall give it to you. Again, we're not here to bash our prosperity, preacher friends, but this is where many people go astray. God is not Aladdin's genie in a bottle, but you rub it the right way and do it the right thing, and he's going to give you whatever you want. But Solomon asked God for something and answered God with something that just blew him away. Predictable because God knows all things, but here it is. Solomon answered verse three, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 9 of 1 Kings, God Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to discern this, your great people? Govern you, this great people. Solomon asked for wisdom. This request so pleased God that he gave Solomon wisdom and threw in wealth, longevity, and success. The wisdom God gave to Solomon was not an exclusive gift. God had signed a check and made it out to any believer like Solomon who asked for wisdom. All he had to do was endorse it. So when verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to without reproach, it will be given to him. That's the promise. It will be given to you. James 1.5 promises that God will give wisdom, not necessarily answers, because sometimes answers become our idols. Well, if we could just figure out this virus and get life back to normal, maybe my life would be okay. Or if I could just figure out the answer to how to solve this situation at work or how to solve this family problem or this, this financial issue that I'm having or whatever you got. We are like Job who demanded, if you recall, to interrogate God as he was going through his trials. And when God finally got to the witness stand at the end of the book, it was Job who was being interrogated. God blitzed Job with questions and never answered one of Job's questions. That's the amazing thing. Yet Job emerged with greater wisdom. And friends, that is how God works. Wisdom is not a spiritual navigation system with turn-by-turn directions. Oh, how that would be great. I can remember before I married Natalie, we just celebrated our 10 years this, this past week, where we would ask, you know, Lord, is this the one? God, if you would just give me a sign, you know, make a big arrow down here, send a plane, put a blinking light somewhere. You know, God doesn't spell out his will in Cheerios or in SpaghettiOs or by turning on or, or doing a Bible roulette, by turning to a Bible verse here or there every day and making a sentence out of it. This is not national treasure. 
those old uh, goofy uh, Nicolas Cage movies. This is something much greater. God gives us a promise. He will give wisdom. It is a spiritual alertness that he gives to see the potholes in the road or the guy that darts in front of you and responds in a way that does not ruin your Christian witness. This is God navigating you through life. You don't always see the way ahead, but his word is a light into your path, and he will get you there. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to respond to life with rare stability, Chuck Swindoll said. Not a big Chuck Swindoll fan, but that's a great quote. Let me read that again. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and respond to life with rare stability. Christian, can I ask you, have you asked God for wisdom in these days? Have you prayed to him? Have you seen the problem that you do lack wisdom? Have you seen the prescription that he gives generously to you without finding fault? And have you claimed the promise that he gives you, that he will give it to you? Yes, not in your time. Yes, maybe not in the way you want, but he will give. Are you asking him? Are you pleading with him? Whatever you got, take it to him. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. So not only the first duty is we're not only to ask God for the wisdom we need, we're secondly, and this is verses 6 to 8, we're to trust God for the wisdom that we need. I want you to see the natural progression that's in this text here. He goes from verse 5, which is just loaded. He teaches us that trials demand wisdom. I think we've seen that. He teaches us that wisdom demands prayer. Then James teaches us that prayer demands faith. Let me just read verses 6 through 8 again. But let him, let who? Let the one who lacks wisdom ask him in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So in verse 5, James commands us to ask God for wisdom. But in verses 6 through 8, he explains how to ask God for wisdom. Verse 5 is an open claim, an open promise for any Christian to claim. But verses 6 through 8 puts an essential statement, an essential requirement for receiving that promise. You must trust God for the wisdom that you need. And you see that first in verse 6, that God responds to the one who prays in faith. God responds to the one who prays in faith. Notice the first part of verse 6. He said, but let him ask in faith. We know that God generously gives wisdom to all who ask him without finding fault, but he requires that those who ask for the wisdom to do so in faith. This faith requirement applies to everything you would ask of God. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, whatever you ask God for in prayer must be asked for in faith. And James specifies here that when you pray for wisdom, it must be in faith. We went through the book of Mark. It took us three long years, but praise the Lord. Many of you still survived that. But Mark 11, 22 through 24, Jesus says, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. What's interesting here is that James, of course, we believe is the literal brother of Christ. And we know, we looked at this last week, that in Mark chapter 3 and other places in the Gospels, James was among those in the family of Christ and the greater crowd saying, Jesus, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? 
Are you really the son of God? Yet the very prayer that Jesus gave his disciples about prayer is echoed here in verse 6. Let him ask in faith. And verse 6 continues, but it goes on that God not only rewards those who pray in faith, but God rejects the one who prays in doubt. Verse 6 continues, but let him ask in faith with no doubting or without doubting. And there's a sense in which the doubt is is a friend of faith, not its enemies. The doubt is kind of like the ants in the pants of, of our faith. It keeps faith alive, it keeps faith awake, and it keeps faith alert. Yet James commands us to ask in faith with no doubting. You see, it's a prohibition against spiritual indecisiveness that wavers between trust and doubt. When you're tempted to doubt God, you should doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. We live in an age, and we live in an age where doubt is popular, where if you doubt your faith, you're seen as, as great. You know, we shared this several weeks ago, but Paul Tripp wrote a book several years ago called Dangerous Calling. And as any published book does, they always get uh, endorsers of the books on the back, big names in the ministry world. Three of those five names have fallen. Three of those five names have fallen. One of those men, Joshua Harris, who's known for his work with Sovereign Grace Ministries and known for his work with uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, came out last summer and basically expelled his faith. He says, I doubt everything now. I doubt everything I believed. I doubt everything I taught. And you should doubt as well. Is basically what his message was. But James looks down on that doubt. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. And in verses 6 through 8, James is going to tell you two reasons why you should not doubt. First, he goes on in verse 6 that he's going to tell you what God thinks about the doubter. At the end of verse 6, he says that doubter is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And this is a marine analogy, and, and James is, is, it must have loved nature because he uses several of these analogies from nature in his letter. But growing up with his older brother, Jesus, near the Sea of Galilee, James was familiar with the severe storms that cropped up and the waves and how they went back and forth, how the wind would drive the waves from one side to the other and then another. And the winds would toss the waves and lifting them up them high and then crashing them down. You know, as we're recording this, there's, there's a thunderstorm outside. I imagine if you go to Smithville Lake or one of our na- lakes around, the winds would be doing similar things. It's the kind of storms that the disciples experienced in Mark chapter 4 that caused them to wake up and look at Jesus and say, Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? Do you not care we're perishing? The one who doubts in prayer, the one who doubts, and even though he asks, but the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That's the first thing he says about doubters. And there's another problem here, the dilemma of what a doubter thinks about God. That's how God thinks about a doubter. He's like a wave being tossed back and forth. But what does the doubter think about God? The doubter lives with a foolish assumption. He supposes he can pray with doubt and receive an answer to his prayers. Now, you might be thinking for a second, well, pastor, you know, didn't Gideon doubt? I mean, weren't there people in the Bible who doubted when they prayed? Yes, absolutely. Friend, we know that God knows that our, 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 our frame is dust. He knows that our very inward parts are those things that are most inclined to be opposite of what he asks us to do. But he doesn't lower the bar just because there's examples. As we study scripture, let it be a reminder that there is both descriptive examples like Gideon and there's what prescriptive commands like James. The one who supposes that God will grant a request even though he does not trust God is the one who doubts. The doubter who thinks this way 
is confused about who God is and the way God works. James would disabuse the doubter of his erroneous supposition. So he goes on to verse 7. Look at your text. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. In verse 2, James addresses his readers as brothers, kind of a spiritual communion to set up the letter. But here he refers to the the doubter, verse 6, as that person. He's disassociating that person from the one who prays with doubt. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. This word anything is not absolute. But Matthew 5.45 reminds us, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, quote, make God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We call this common grace. It is a favor of God poured out on all those on humanity, whether they know Christ or not, whether a believer or not. James does not mean that God refuses to do absolutely anything for the one who doubts. This word anything must be understood in the context of prayer. God does many things for doubters, but the doubter should never think he or she will receive anything from God when they ask in prayer. And James states this as a divine command. Did you see that? For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from who? From the Lord. Doubt received God's Doubt received God's pink rejection slip that reads, request denied due to insufficient faith. Now, I want to be careful here. We know many people, and if you haven't, and we've mentioned him in small groups before, if you've not uh, ever had the chance to read Costi Hen, that's C-O-S-T-I-N, Hen, H-I-N-N, that last name may be familiar to our church family. Uh, Costi is the nephew of Benny Hen, and uh, Costi grew up in the prosperity gospel preaching. He heard many times over his books and his blogs and his sermons will tell you that you are sick because you didn't have enough faith. This person died because you didn't have enough faith. This happened because you didn't have enough faith. But what Costi has found, Brother Costi, Pastor Costi has found is that that's not necessarily what James has in view. What James has in view is not that it's is not an insufficient faith to the point that you are in sin. What he has in view, I think here, is that God is reminding us through James that we must have a solid trust in Him. Friends, you can pray and pray and pray, and things will not always go the way you want them to for that sick family member, the way you want them to for that person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. But all God asks you to do is believe Him, to trust Him, to ask Him, to hold on to Him, that even though you don't see the answers you expect, that His plan is bigger. And that's not a cop-out. That's biblical reality. How many times did people in the scriptures pray and God did something opposite, but in the opposite of what they thought was best for them, God used it for a greater glory and a greater good for his people. If someone comes to you and says that you are sick because you don't have enough faith, that is straight from the pits of hell, run away. But one thing you need to hold on to is, is that God will provide but is your trust in your ability to well up faith or is your trust like a person jumping out of a plane, trusting that parachute to carry them from the plane down to ground safely? And so too it is with us. We are like that person jumping out of a plane who needs to be reminded of what God is doing and how God is doing it. Verse eight, God gives a final devastating description of the one who believes but doubts. Verse 8, he says, The one who doubts is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The word double-minded here is is unique to James. James coined it. It, It's not used in any outside literature. Scholars believe James uh, is using this 
to mean two souls. Uh, the first one is, is a quote from the Old Testament that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, or all your might and all your strength. There's only one God. But God demands total devotion. And so double-mindedness, then, is the opposite of an offense to the living God. And what James is saying, he continues in chapter 4, verse 8, and we'll get there in a few weeks. He talks about this very word again. He says, the double-minded man is one opposite of what God wants. He says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I've seen that verse quoted several times these last couple of weeks. Cleanse your hands, O sinners. It's a great coronavirus verse. But James has more in view. The double-minded man is someone who has a sinful heart that needs to be purified to draw near to God. This is how James describes someone who is a double-minded man. He's a double-minded man. He's a fence straddler. He is Mr. Facing Both Ways. He is, he's a walking civil war. He, he, he trusts, but he doubts. He hopes for the best but he expects the worst. He tries to be a friend of the world, and James will warn against that in later chapters, and a friend of God at the same time. It reminds you of Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18.21, where Elijah the prophet confronted the prophets of Baal and the double-mindedness of the children of Israel. And he said to them, quote, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And Christian Tower View member, how long will you live in double-mindedness? If God is God, trust Him. If God is God, trust Him. Look, our church is like many churches. We're a normative-sized church. We have decisions to make about finances and budget and outreach and all these things. But one thing I think God is teaching us through this time as a church is that our trust is not in our resources. Our trust is not in our ingenuity. Our trust is in Him. And like the psalmist, we trust not in princes or, or, or chariots or horses. We trust in the name of the Lord thy God. Let it be a singular devotion. Faith says yes, but unbelief says no. Doubt says yes and no at the same time. So when James says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, you know, it's like those years we spent doing street evangelism in Westport. The man who doubts is like a staggering drunk walking out of a Kelly's bar in the middle of Westport. The double-minded man takes one stumbling step towards God, but the next step he lurches away from God. He's unstable to stand firm in his faith. And so he says the double-minded man is unstable in his prayer life. He's unstable, note this, in all his ways. All his ways. The person who can't trust God is a person who can't be trusted. He's unstable in all his ways. So as you pray, as you ask God for wisdom, as He tells you the problem, as He gives you the prescription, as He gives you the promise to claim, as He tells you here to trust Him for the wisdom that you need, you need to remember that your devotion to God is the most important thing you have in these days. How do we outreach to our community? You know, some of us, we can't get out of our house. We're at stay-at-home orders. You know, we can go get groceries and all those things. How do we reach those people around us in these days? First off, you're going to pray for him, church. You're going to pray that God would use you to serve in some way, shape, or form, to love your neighbor as yourself, especially those around you. I'll admit that we've been in our neighborhood now a few years, and uh, there are still some, some neighbors a few doors down we don't know the names of. May God give us the, the, the grace to reach out to them, not to give them a hug or cough on them or possibly spread a virus, but from a distance as, as best we can, 
and with a note on the door maybe or something to reach out and say, are you doing okay? Can we pray for you? Can, can, can we share with you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Look, many of us are going to struggle in this next week because Easter's on the calendar, isn't it? Easter's now on the calendar, and we're looking around saying, God, where is this at? And, and it makes us feel, not just in prayer, but in our faith, very unstable, doesn't it? Because that thing that happens every year where we put on our Sunday best and we come and you know, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, things are just different now, guys. But I want to remind you, I want to remind you that a single-minded man is stable in all his ways. We may not celebrate Easter together physically like we're used to, but I can guarantee you this. The same God who is the God of, of Easter Sunday, whatever week of the calendar it falls on year to year, is the same God we come and worship today. Today's the Lord's Day. Pre-recorded a few days before, but you're watching this on the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Let your mind focus on that. Friend, there are so many people fearful right now. So many people. And I hate to even say this, but we know the, the deeper we get into this lockdown, the more deaths we're going to have, the more depressed people are going to get, the more suicidal people will become. People need hope right now. They need stable people, people of faith to stand up and say, look, I don't have it all together. I, I sin. I, I, I don't love God as I ought to, but I know he loves me. And by faith, I draw near to him. I, I'm trusting him for wisdom. I'm asking him for wisdom. And I desire and believe in prayer to see you walk with him as well. Would you be that stable person in someone's life this week? Would you pray to God, God, who is it that I can talk to? Pick up that phone. Look, too many of us are on these devices way too much. Use that for God's glory. But as we turn out and we close today, a single-minded man is stable in all his ways. May that be true of us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Tower View family, as we close, we love you guys so much. May you pray. May you pray for us as, as pastors. May you pray for us as leaders that we are wise in these days. If you're doubting, if you have questions, if we can encourage you spiritually, don't be a, a hermit. Don't hibernate away your faith. This is a time for growth and pruning, yes. But it's a time for God to use us. May we ask him for wisdom. May we trust him for wisdom. May we believe him in prayer that God is generous. He's so good. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, we thank you for our opportunity to come under your word. Thank you again for Midwestern Seminary providing this opportunity to use their space for a short time for Brother Matthew, who's behind the booth helping and, and doing things for this. Father, we just pray these things. But I especially pray for our church at Tower View. By the world's fun water tower, Lord, off 435 in the Gracemore Maple Park area. Father, may you use our church, a normative-sized church, but with people with generous hearts and boldness in the gospel and a desire to grow and see others grow in Christ, to love one another. Father, may these days ahead, as dark and gloomy as they feel, Father, may our faith shine bright by your grace through the strength of your spirit to see many people come to know Jesus Christ. Father, I am praying for those who are seeking wisdom in life's decisions and life's trials right now. Father, would you remind them of these promises? May you remind them that you give generously to all. And may we come with uh, not perfect faith, but Father, may we come with a resolve that no matter what happens, we will be like that widow of Luke 18.1, that we will keep knocking on the door until you grant our request. And we will be like Jacob who held on until he was blessed. 
Father, may you give us wisdom in these things. And again, we pray for those watching who uh, may not know your son. Father, would the gospel be clear as we will share that offline uh, after this recording. Father, would you stir their hearts, whether they're here or somewhere around the world, be glorified. Father, thank you so much. We thank you mostly for your son who bore the wrath, was buried and rose again, literally, physically and bodily for our salvation. We pray these things today in Jesus' name.